0: M-S-W-Media. Do you want me to do one in English? Yeah, yeah, do one in English, too. Hey, guys,
1: what's up? I'm Pili Montilla, and you are listening to What Are You Drinking? with Dan Dunn.
0: Or What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn.
1: Oh, is it What We're Drinking? Yeah.
0: or if you want to go What Are You Drinking? that's fine,
1: too. Oh, what is it? What we're, what?
0: what we're Drinking with Dan Dunn.
1: What's up, guys? I'm Pili Montilla, and you are listening to what We're Drinking
0: with Dan Dunn. Will pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill, it's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking
1: and a drinking, well, this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn.
0: Welcome to the show, and what a show it's going to be! It's it, this is the kind of episode I refer to as a geek out episode, where I get to geek out about just sort of minutiae sometimes the science, the history of cocktails. You know, there's no celebrities on this one. This one we're gonna we're just gonna kick it and get real about about. And the thing we're actually going to be geeking out on today is uh, well, it starts with carbonated water, which is also known as soda water, sparkling water, fizzy water, water with gas, or seltzer. But we, what it is, is water containing dissolved carbon dioxide gas, generally artificially injected for our purposes, but it can occur naturally uh, due to uh, geological processes. And it has long been a, an essential cocktail ingredient and is the, the foundation of what's also another thing called tonic water. And that's what we're really going to get into. And joining me to discuss this, to really dive deep into this subject, is the uh, CEO North America of the UK company behind the world's leading premium line of mixers, and that's Fever Tree Mixers. And the man is Charles Gibb. Charles, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you very much indeed for having me. Delighted to be talking to you today. So uh, the, again, as you can see, my my enthusiasm for this. Now, yeah. I want to, uh, Charles, I'm going to roll out. You you are British. I can tell from the accent. I've picked that up. Right, correct yep. whereabouts yep. in in in. England are you from well actually from Scotland, so there okay
1: separate separate country in many people's eyes, but yeah, originally from Scotland, and i was I always used to dis- I used to run Belvedere vodka before this, and I would describe myself as a as a Scotsman running a Polish vodka, married to an Australian uh, with two slightly confused kids, one of whom was born in London and one of whom was born here in New York. So I have a very international family and very broad background as a result.
0: Yeah. And you, uh, you also, you're Mohan, Mohan Hennessy, uh, Diageo, Bacardi, you've, you've been in this business for what going on over 30 years, right?
1: Well, we like to keep that bit quiet. Yeah. The 30 years bit, but yes, I've been, I've had the privilege of working with many of the world's great spirit brands, uh, wines and spirit brands. Um, and yeah, I loved it and had a fantastic career, um, in Europe, um, in Asia Pacific, specifically in Australia, uh, where I met my wife, and then really for the last eleven years, I've been based here in uh, in the in the US. And when did you join Fever Tree? So I'd worked an awful lot with Fever Tree when I was um, running Belvedere Vodka, um, because I fervently believe in the in the simple message that if three quarters of your drink is going to be the mixer, then the mixer needs to play a kind of prominent role within the drink, and you know. I, I insisted that any event we did anywhere in the world featuring Belvedere it had to have Fever Tree because it made our drinks taste better. And if you're a drinks company, that's kind of important. Um, so yeah, so I kind of I I, um, I I came across the brand first whilst I was working uh, with them, as it were, as a as, as a partner, and then uh, Tim Worrelow, one of the two founders came and approached me um, along with Charles Rolls and asked me if I'd like to come and set up their North American business. And it was just too good an opportunity to say no to.
0: And it got me out of nightclubs, which I was spending far too much time. In. <laughs> I know that feeling. Well, I want to, <laughs> let me roll out a little bit here, a little bit of history and, and anything, anytime you want to jump in and tell me I got something wrong, sure. please do. So let's, let's go back to the beginning and we're talking about Carbonated water, and, and I believe the first person to aerate water with carbon dioxide was a guy named William Brownrigg in 1740. But he never wrote about it, so they didn't credit him with it. The guy that's actually credited, is guy named Joseph, Joseph Priestley, was 18th century English chemist, and he has been given largely been given the credit. Well, with the discovery of oxygen, at least having isolated in its gaseous state. But then his reputation rested a lot on his invention of carbonated water. And essentially, as I understand it, he he had a bowl of water that he was suspended above a beer vat at a brewery in Leeds, England. This is back in 1767. And he found that it was the bubbles were getting into the water and he and he wrote that he had quote a peculiar satisfaction in drinking it and then a couple of years later in 1772 he published a paper that was called impregnating water with fixed air which by the way don't google that on your computer if you're at work because yeah you don't know what might come up there uh, impregnating water with fixed air so he had a basically had a, a bladder between a, a generator and absorption tank that regulated the flow of carbon dioxide. And that's how he carbonated water. And uh, it wasn't in, I guess, in 1781, it started to be produced on a large scale uh, with companies that were specializing in producing mineral water. Okay. And uh, the first factory was built in Manchester, England, by a guy named Thomas Henry. Now, let's move on from the carbonated water to probably more your forte here, Charles. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say the one thing about
1: carbonation is it's very good for carrying flavor. It's very good for bringing flavor, bringing effervescence to a drink. And so it's why it makes anything that's carbonated so special that like, you know, it gives you an instant nose, an instant sensation. Um, you know, even when you pop a can of anything, you get that first feeling and those and those first flavors, those first aromas. You really do. They jump up your nose and they they activate all of your um, uh, what are they called olfactory um, you know elements. So so that's why it, it was so important. Um, and, and, of course, from that, you were then able to start carbonating and flavoring, which was the key thing. And and now I think you're going to talk a bit about tonic water. Well, yeah, but might.
0: I also wanted to say, you know, when you were talking about that feeling, that sensation, I mean, it was, you know, famously, Dom Perignon, when when he accidentally discovered bubbles in wine, said, I'm tasting the stars. I
1: think I'm drinking the stars.
0: I'm drinking exactly. the stars. Yeah. So exactly. so now we're moving on to tonic. And, you know, this time, British We're colonizing the world. And uh, in in the colonies, malaria was, was going crazy and killing lots and lots of people. So in the 17th century, now we're going to go back before that 17th century, Spanish explorers... Explorers, would that be the right word? <laughs> yeah. Plunderers. It, it found that the Peru. yeah, you know, they were just exploring and then they decided to keep it, just like we kind of did here. We were just exploring. And we said to the Native Americans, you know, I think we've explored enough and now we're just going to keep the place. So anyway, the, down in uh, the indigenous uh, per- Peruvians used this uh, Chinchona tree bark, right, to treat fevers. It, it, yeah. it was called it the Jesuits bark because the, the, the missionaries were thought to have brought it back to Europe and it became a go-to malaria treatment. Am I right on that one?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, well, there's a number of different kind of ways that in there one is there was a big challenge for the Brits when we were in India. So if you, if you look at it through and again, history is always written by, you know, by the winners or (laughs) history is always written by the people that that develop it the most.
0: By the explorers.
1: Or by the explorers (laughs) or whoever it is. Um, so, you know, I suppose growing up, I was always, I was always brought into the world that, that quinine, which is this, um, and, and for those that don't know, so quinine comes from the bark of the Chinchona tree. And the Chinchona tree essentially is a, is a tree that grows in subtropical climes um, in, in certain parts of the world. And, and today, the best you know Chinchona trees are grown in the Democratic Republic of Congo. But this story really goes to India where, where the quinine powder, so they would take the powder out of the tree and then they would mix it with a combination of, of water and sugar to create essentially a medicine because they worked out that quinine warded off the, the, the effects and the impact of malaria and it quelled the fever of malaria. Now, British soldiers in those days were very lucky because they were given a ration of gin every day. So they were given their gin. They were given this quinine. By the way, if you've ever tasted it, is extremely bitter, like raw quinine powder, beyond bitter. Which is why it needed. So, to be when mixed. you say
0: quinine, is this the one that I'm mispronouncing? There, a lot of Americans say quinine. You
1: you guys say quinine. I say quinine. You say tomato. I say tomato. You know well.
0: We'll get it. We'll get it. All the and, and also when you, when you mentioned that they were mixing it with sugar and water, that's because it, because the chinchona bark is extremely bitter on its own, right? Oh God, yes. I mean, if you were to try this, I mean, literally the, f- the
1: flavor, the taste of it will stay in your mouth for days. Like, you know, I mean, I used to drink, Ardbeg whiskey and that's taste stays with you for days. That heavy, well. that heavy it, peat. Yeah. The heavy peaty whiskey. This one would really would, I mean, it, it, it not, burns your tongue but it really does it's it's extremely powerful so to make it palatable a little bit of water a little bit of sugar and then of course well you know gin may as well mix it in with the gin so as you were given your gin ration you were also given your tonic and of course the original use of the word tonic was was as a tonic against a an illness or as an antidote or as a preventative cure so the gin and tonic was always and, and people would always refer to it as being medicinal. My medicinal gin and tonic, that's exactly how it was born. Um, and I think one of the lovely stories for, for fee, fever tree is the fact that um, the Chinchona tree, the locals in the Democratic Republic of Congo, refer to this tree not as the Chinchona tree, but they actually refer to it as the fever tree because it quells the fever of malaria. So that's
0: where the name came from. There you go.
1: That's where the name came from.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. So, and let's let's talk about that a little bit. So, when did when did Fever Tree come into existence? So, two um, British entrepreneurs, um, Tim
1: Warlow and Charles Rolls. Charles Rolls had previously been involved with Plymouth Gin and resurrected that essentially from a mothballed distillery. Um, and brought it back to life. And Plymouth is just one of those wonderful, It's a, It's
0: a brand. lovely, lovely gin. My, I'm sure you know Simon Ford. Yes, uh, so back in the day, Simon was working for uh, Plymouth Gin, was one of the brands, and he took me over there. And boy, I fell in love with that one. That, that is a, That's a delicious gin.
1: There you go. That was all Charles, Simon, all, all involved at that time. So um, they met um, to talk about starting a gin business believe it or not they had a very good lunch and by the end of the lunch i believe that they um they basically sort of both had that aha moment together where they said and what, when are we talking charles what, what time so period 2000 and
0: 2003 so this is this is right around the time that you know this we want to call it the craft cocktail revolution is starting to happen right it's starting to happen especially you know uh, you got milk and honey. You got, I don't know, was milk and honey around then? It was kind of a. R- well,
1: yeah, it was. Look, what was happening was people were respecting premium spirits and spirits were starting to really premiumize. It wasn't just your baseline spirit anymore. It was now, well, how is this made? This one's made dif- differently. Craft spirits were emerging, craft cocktail was emerging. And the bartender, the cocktail, you know, um, mixologists, were gaining more and more kind of traction and respect at the same time. And when these two met, they basically finished this famous lunch um, and they worked out that it wasn't the gin that was the problem. It was actually the tonic water. And they went, oh, my God, nobody's thought about this. And so from that first meeting 2003, they then spent – 18 months, over 18 months, basically doing research in the British Library to understand the history of tonic water, where it came from, um, where the best chinchona trees were grown in the world, um, and how to make a tonic water, and really going back to the roots of, of, of what tonic water was all about. And clearly with a view to other mixers later on, but certainly in the first instance, was all about getting that, getting that first product off the line. Which took them about two years um, before they launched, and then very, very fast, they got traction with the likes of Ferran Adrià, who was running El Bulli at the time. Sure, um, and which he, way
0: that was you know one of the most, if not the most exclusive restaurant in the world, and and most revered restaurant in the world. So he he embraced the
1: brand to a point whereby he was drinking his gin and tonic. And we all know how the Spanish love a great gin and tonic, but he was drinking his gin and tonic using Fever tree, and he loved it so much. He actually made a dish on his you know, extravagant tasting menu using the Zuppa de Fever tree, a kind of Fever tree foam soup thing, um, because he just loved the flavor and, and, and the fact that this was real authentic um, and, 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 delicious tasting.
0: By the way, I remember this back when this happened. So I'm, you know, I, at that time, I think I was either writing for playboy or Metro and, and, you know, was one of the few people covering spirits, I think back then. And when I, re- I remember fever tree first coming out and it's so strange, Charles, because it was that moment of going, how did nobody think of this before to mm-hmm. make sure that the mixers taste great? Yeah. And, and that was the first one that I went and it makes such a, you said it earlier in the show, 75% of that drink is the mixer. Doesn't matter how good the spirit is. If you've got a yeah. shitty mixer in there, the drink's done. Exactly. I mean, I always use the kind of
1: the Wagyu beef analogy. You wouldn't stick tomato ketchup on Wagyu beef. Would, would you? So why on earth are you sticking gun tonic or, you know, a horrible PT bottle of you know one liter bottle of, of essentially what is, artificial ingredients, high fructose corn syrup, and and you know, nothing natural into a beautifully crafted spirit. You know, why are you doing that? You know, I always I was I was having worked in the spirits industry, you know, you know, with spirits producers, we're so passionate about, you know, our distiller who takes their grain and hand selects the grain, distilled it with an inch of perfection puts it in a barrel, in the case of dark spirits, it puts it in a barrel, ages it for a specific number of years, cracks open the barrel, blends it, bottles it, puts it in a stunning bottle with amazing packaging on it, and then suddenly, five seconds before you get to enjoy this amazing whiskey or whatever it happens to be, somebody injects it with artificial ingredients, just a whole load of garbage, and completely destroys the life's work of this distiller.
0: And it drives you nuts. I think it's the equivalent of you meet somebody and you're, you're, you're smitten with this person and you're they're the most beautiful person you've ever seen. And everything is just, it's great, it's great. And then you're moving in for the kiss and they have halitosis. It's all ruined then, right? You know, it's that one little element. Everything is perfect. And then they breathe on you and it's done. Right. You got, <laughs> that's it. That's kind of, this is, so what we were saying, those, those old mixers were the bad breath of the, that would ruin the, the rest of it. Yeah. Okay. They, they were,
1: yeah, I mean, you can you
0: steal know, that by the way, Charles, if you want to use that analogy, you're know, uh, the like, no, thanks. No, thanks. <laughs>
1: but, it, but it was, and it was, it, you know, it was, as you say, it was a simple discovery. And then what it led to, of course, is, is well, now how do we do the same in ginger ale? How do we do the same with ginger beer? And, you know, for ginger, you know, for, for our gingers, you know, we, we we go to Cochin in India, we go to the Ivory Coast, we go to Nigeria because we believe that each of these different styles of ginger brings a different aspect to a ginger beer or a ginger ale. Um, you know, we've just recently launched a pink grapefruit where we go to Florida because we
0: know the best grapefruits in the world. And, and that is killing it by the way, right? This, this, I, I can tell you, that I there is no better way for me if I want to have a little brunch cocktail I get that I get that pink it's the 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 fever tree uh it's a sparkling pink grapefruit you put a good tequila in there with that and man that's a, that's a good way to to kick off a brunch yeah yeah i mean that's just it just makes
1: and the great thing about it again is something like that fits with what people are drinking and how people drink nowadays, you know, it's low in calories. It's only 30 calories in one of those bottles. And so as a result, you know, you get a beautiful, delicious tasting drink for under a hundred calories, which again is, is what people are after. People looking for low calorie. They're looking for low calorie, simple, long mixed drinks that they understand and they know what's inside them. That's the important thing. How many flavors of fever tree do you have? We've got well, you know. So if I look at our tonics, um, we've got probably seven or eight tonics in the US at the moment. Um, we bring in some seasonal ones occasionally in the UK. On top of that, um, we're at the moment we've got four ginger
0: ales. We've got a spiced orange ginger ale that's got well um, the smoky one. That's what I was going to get to, Charles. Is uh, I I love this smoky ginger ale. It's, it's it's three varieties of ginger, smoked apple wood, and some citrus in there. And I gotta tell you, the way it mixes that smoky ginger ale with a with a with a good bourbon, man, I'm loving good it. Bourbon
1: or, a, or, or go double smoke, go the mezcal with it, which is also quite nice. <laughs> so do so do the ginger the smoke ginger ale with the mezcal. I didn't yeah. think to, I didn't think to try that. Oh, it's delicious! Um, and I tell you what, really, I mean something like um, a really good cognac with the spiced orange ginger ale. Cause if you think about orange and, you know, orange, ginger, cognac, beautiful. Okay. Blend so wait, there. so
0: the spiced orange ginger ale. And yeah. then what do you, and what do you do? Like two ounces of cognac or. Yeah. Like a, just a Hennessy, you know, Hennessy VSOP maybe. Yeah. And what about with What'd the, with the sparkling pink grapefruit, which is just, again, we, it's the newest, it's blowing up for you. What else besides tequila would you, would you, would be a great to mix with this? Uh,
1: We've, we've, I mean, obviously vodka, you know, everything goes with vodka. So, but it works really well with a, you know, with, with, with a good vodka. I tell you what I'm doing with it, um, is I'm mixing tequila, the uh, pink grapefruit, and then a little bit of our ginger beer. So you get that kind of ginger grapefruit mix
0: combo together for a little spicy Paloma. Fantastic. So the, so the, the, the sparkling, uh, grape, the pink grapefruit is going to be the majority of the mixer, maybe an ounce and a half, two ounces of, of tequila. And then just a splash of ginger ale. Is that what we're talking about? It's a, a ginger beer, a splash a, a ginger, of ginger gin- beer. That's right. Yeah. Ginger beer, splash yeah.
1: Splash of the gin, ginger beer on top of it. You know, oh, yeah. that's really nice. Um, you know, we've seen people mixing it with, um, some of the lighter bourbons, but they're looking for some, something cit- citrusy, um, I wouldn't say that was my favorite, but you know, again, each to the red.
0: Now your experience, and this is an interesting phenomenon that's going on during this pandemic: is that you're seeing sales are going up, and uh, from what I can see, Fever Tree's having a very good year. To what do you attribute that? I mean, obviously the the obvious thing is that people are making drinks at home because they're not going out, right? And they yeah. and they they. Will. But how do you? When people are worried, maybe they're worried about money a little bit. I mean, let, let's face it. This is ex- more expensive than buying a, a big bottle of Schweppes or something. So how do you get the word out to people that they're going to be a lot happier spending the extra money on the mixer? I think people are more willing to spend more money on the booze and maybe let the mixer. How do you get that messaging out?
1: It's a really interesting, I mean, yes, I mean, we've been growing you know, fantastically during this period. And I think it's because people are buying premium spirits. And then let's say you do buy that one liter bottle of, of, you know, tonic or ginger ale. By the time you get halfway down that bottle, you're throwing it out because that thing goes flat super fast. It doesn't retain its carbonation particularly well. PET does not retain carbonation as well. Um, And by the time you get halfway down that bottle, all you're drinking is essentially sweet, artificial, Junk, frankly. So you have to throw it out, and as it was so I think there's there's been that aspect. Whereas these small bottles work beautifully um, for you know single serve occasion. How many ounce? How many ounces is a bottle of Fever Tree? well it's two hundred mils, which is what I think six point seven ounces. I have to get one, um, but it works perfectly for one or a drink and a half, depending on how heavy or light you pour. You get perfect carbonation, which is really nice. And there's, there's also that lovely feeling of shh every time. You get that little sensation. And those cues are really important to us. But if you're going to drink a premium spirit, why are you ruining it with a low-grade mixer? So you know, it, when, when you look at the cost of a drink at home, the spirit and the mixer, if, if three, they should at least have equal billing inside the drink. And the reality is the spirit was costing 90 and the mixer was costing 10. I think people have worked out that actually I can make a better drink for myself if if I balance that equation up. And if the mixer, the spirit is, you know, 60 and the mixer is 40 or 70, 30. I think people work that out. I think the other thing is, and this is how I came into the brand. Once you've tried Fever Tree, you do not go back. You do not go back. And you don't go back because the taste is just so damn good.
0: You're right on this. I would not be caught dead taking any of my premium spirits and mixing it with a subpar mixer. I mean, there's no reason to do it. And it's all about enjoyment. You know, it's not about, uh, I think when you, at least when you reach a certain age, you you want to enjoy the cocktail. You don't want to, it's not about, it's not a volume game we're talking about here. We're talking about making the best drink possible.
1: Correct. And I think the other thing is when you look at you know, people want to make great tasting drinks at, at at home, but they also love to this this concept, this idea of experimenting when they're drinking at home. But it's very difficult to experiment and 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 get it right. You know, um, how many people are confident enough to make a Negroni at home or a Martini at home or a, you know uh, you know a Margarita from scratch, not a Margarita with a bottle mix, a Margarita from scratch. People lack that confidence. Why? Because they're not skilled at those things. Um, Whereas when you go out, that's part of the pleasure of going out is that people make these amazing cocktails in bars. And this is where things like our Mediterranean tonic that's got lemon, thyme and rosemary in it, or the aromatic tonic that's got Angostura bark and pimento berry in it. That's where those give you those second and third and fourth ingredients in your drink. They they actually transform the way you you can have one gin, and you can have four different styles of tonic with it and go, wow, that cucumber tonic made it taste this way. The elderflower tonic made it taste like this. The um, Mediterranean tonic gave it all these wonderful Mediterranean sort of, you know, um, um, herbs, you know, that kind of sensation. Whereas, you know, the aromatic tonic was was delicious for, for another, another reason. And that's the genius of it, is the fact that people want to experiment at home, but they also... Want to make themselves a good drink and have the confidence to do so.
0: Well, and again, when we talk about the cost, I mean that makes it. You know, in in a sense, you're almost getting. It's almost like you're buying several different gins because, Correct. as you said, the one gin can make four different, completely different tasting cocktails because of the mixer, because of the Fever Correct. Tree, um, and Fever Tree is available everywhere. Right, it's all over the place in the United States. Yeah, I mean we. Well, we you know we've been here since what two 2000- thousand. I'm sorry, Charles lost you there. Our, uh, equipment decided to have a gin and tonic <laughs> it can't stop. Yeah. So, um, anyway, we're talking obviously about just the versatility of these mixers, having all these different mixers and how important it is to not screw up your drink with subpar mixers. That's, that's the message we're getting across here. Now does, does fever tree cure scurvy though? If I were to get scurvy, would you recommend? Well, the, the, well, there was an
1: amazing thing earlier on this year where there was a doctor in St. Louis, Missouri, who was touting um, tonic water and zinc as a cure for the coronavirus to such an extent that we actually had to put a notice on our website to say that you could not, that, that, that fever tree will not cure the coronavirus.
0: So. Was there a moment when the guys were like, wait a minute, if this is true... <laughs>
1: That's right. If this is true. Can we <laughs> but, wow! Um, but it was it was it was sort of it was it was quite extraordinary. Literally, for probably about a week, we got. I mean, you're getting you know hundreds, thousands of of, of questions. You know, is it true? Can you do this? To so, t- to the point where literally we did. We had to put a message on our website reaffirming that we cannot. You know claim to have effect? any claim oh, if only, to the man. cure to the
0: coronavirus. I'd be cured right now. I'd be going, yeah. But uh, unfortunately that isn't the cure, but it, what it is the cure for is, uh, is uh, bad drinks. <laughs> Fever tree is- will make your drink
1: good. Yeah. I mean, you know, somebody, people always, always ask me what I do. I said, I just try and make people's drinks taste better. That's all I'm trying to do in my life. <laughs> It's a pretty simple mission. Isn't that is it?
0: a that is a noble mission. I would say this. Well, listen, I, I want to thank you, Charles Gibb, uh, the CEO of North America for Fever Tree. I've learned a lot now. On I now know, I feel like I'm equipped to carry on a conversation next time I'm able to go to a cocktail party about mixers.
1: Great stuff. Well, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. Lots of fun chatting to you and uh, yeah, keep enjoying those Palomas.
0: I, I appreciate it. And we're going to take a quick break. And coming up on the other side of the break, I'm going to tell you about some new adult beverages that you should be checking out, a number of which would taste really good with some fever tree. So we'll be right back on the other side of this break. As the host of a show called What We're Drinking, people often ask me, hey, what are you drinking? When it comes to American-made whiskey, my go-to is rabbit hole. The unique recipes were created by their founder, a guy named Cave. He and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense in making their bourbon and rye. They have their own cooking methods and use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted charred and wood-fired, which almost nobody does. What you end up with is a line of bourbon and rye with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. What do you having? it's a question as old as the bartending profession itself. And if you ask me, the answer is Rabbit Hole. Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. Go to Keeps.com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair and your hair will take care of you.
1: What are you drinking with Dan
0: Dunn? You want the best hot toddy you're ever going to taste? That's right. The best hot toddy ever. Well, I've got a product for you from our friends at Widow Jane. Widow Jane Distillery just released Decadence. It's a uh, 10-year bourbon blended in small batches finished in American oak barrels that held upstate New York's crown maple artisan maple syrup. That's right. It's finished in barrels that held maple syrup. This is like a real New York collaboration, right? Crown Maple is famous from the Hudson Valley, a short drive from the legendary Rosendale Mines where Widow Jane harvests their limestone-rich water that they use to proof their whiskeys. Widow Jane has provided whiskey for Crown Maple's bourbon barrel aged maple syrup since 2014. and This time, the syrup is given back to the bourbon. I'm telling you right now, I love this stuff. It's just rich and creamy, smooth. It's got a slightly sweet mouthful uh, whiskey that has, you know, some maple notes to it. But it's, oh, it's, oh, I love it. I really do. It's uh, $79.99 a bottle, or as we call it, $80 a bottle. It's 91 proof. It's called Decadence. It's from Widow Jane. Got it? All right. Good. I'm glad you got it. Also, want to tell you about something that could mix really well with Fever Tree. Inspired by a long tradition of independent bottlers in Scotland, Lost Lantern. That's right, Lost Lantern. It's a new independent bottle of American whiskey, and they've got their first blend. It just came out. It's called American Vatted Malt Edition Number One. It's a blend of a bunch of American single malts: Balcones, which I love from Texas; Copperworks from Washington; Santa Fe Spirits, obviously; Numeko, Triple Eight from Massachusetts; and Westward which is from Oregon. I just had those guys on the nightcap live thing that I do for Flaviar every week. So this is a blend of all of these whiskeys. And I got to tell you, I love it. I really do. As far as the tasting notes, it's got this orange peel with some chocolate in there. Some uh, like sort of burnt fruit flavor. I get a burnt flute. Like that. That's what happens. My mouth stops working. Uh, There's some baking spice in there. Even, you know, I'm from Philadelphia and I got a little Philly soft pretzel. Really a little taste of Philly Soft Pretzel in there which I made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's one hundred and twenty dollars a bottle. They only made three thousand bottles of this lost lantern, so if you're gonna get it, better get it quickly. From whiskey, we're moving on to wine, and I—what can I say? This is one of the greatest wines in the world. It's the very first good wine I ever tried in my life. It's called Verite. Pierre Ceylon is the winemaker. When it, people ask me about my aha moment—the moment that I discovered wine, really, truly discovered wine—it was with Pierre and his wife Monique in Santa Monica, California. About oh, it close. It seems like almost twenty years ago. Tasting Verite, it's. Beyond good. It's from Sonoma. This 2017 Verite's marks Pierre Ceylon's 20th vintage crafting Verite, his 50th vintage as a vigneron. And if you talk about him, and I I reached out to Pierre, and I asked him about his two decades in Sonoma, and he said this 2017 vintage is one of the five greatest Verite releases to date. The others are 1998, 2005, 2007, and 2013. He's all over this 2017 and you should be too. There are three different wines that he came out with here. We're going to be talking about La Muse, La Joye, La Dessire. What's interesting is that uh, for the first time ever, the La Muse is 100% Merlot. It's normally blended with a dash of Malbec, but Pierre just said in this vintage, they didn't need it. Alcohol's 14.2%. It's got energy, minerality. These are wines that are going to get a hundred points and that's not a joke a hundred point wines so the 2017 verite i'm laughing because i'm about to give you the bad news it's very difficult to get you got to go on verite that's v-e-r-i-t-e go to the website well maybe not very difficult to get very expensive to get a 410 dollars a bottle i know you hate me right now, don't you? You hate me right now, but I I had to tell you about it because it really is just the best. <sighs> what else? I was again I mentioned the thing I do for Flaviar Nightcap Live every Thursday, I host a live stream. Recently, I had on guys from Suzor Wines. And Suzor is a wine from up in the, the uh, Willamette Valley of Oregon, and I just tried the Suzor 2017 Pinot Noir from the Menifee Vineyards, and delicious. Only 120 cases of this thing. It's got bright red fruit to it. Very elegant wine, and, and, you know, I love Pinot Noir from the Willamette Valley, and this is a really emblematic of what you're going to get from there. Just a lot of flavor, a lot of fruit, and I recommend it highly. It's $44 a bottle. Suzor is S-U-Z-O-R. You're going to want to get some of that. And finally, last new product to tell you about is from our friends at Mandavi. Mandavi, Robert Mandavi, you've heard of him. One of the most iconic figures in wine history. Put Napa Valley, helped put Napa Valley on the on the map. And there, I, I'm a big fan of Mandavi wines. Two, I just had the 2018 Mandavi Pinot Noir Carneros. This is got a lot of it's crisp acidity, very tight structure to it. Some dark cherry, some plum flavor in there, a little dusty cocoa, some dried herbs. It's a very expressive red wine, and it would go really well with a like a hearty fall dish, like a pork chops or pot roast. And it's only twenty eight dollars a bottle. Okay. I'm going to step it up to thirty six dollars a bottle. You can do the 2018 Robert Mondavi Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. I mean, this is classic Napa Cab. You know, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get any more consistency than you're gonna get with Robert Mondavi. Very deeply intense uh, black fruit flavor. You get some clove, some cardamom. Uh, the tannin, the very very rigid tannic structure to it, and a lot of fullness to the juiciness and have it with a roast beef or a steak that's what you do all right that's what you do i want to thank cecilia betzel our uh, beer correspondent for joining us i want to thank david stein from creature comforts brewing company for joining us of course i want to thank you you listener I invite you to follow me at The Imbiber on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back with a new show soon, I promise.